Well, today we're back in Ephesians. We've, uh, all summer, we're going to be working in the book of Ephesians. We're in chapter 1, the second half, starting in verse 15, and we'll finish Ephesians uh, 1 today. We won't finish Ephesians till we get to Labor Day, God willing. But so, people ask me a question. I want to answer a question that gets asked me a lot. Pastor Bill, do you prefer weddings or funerals? Weddings or funerals? And that's a trick question because it's usually someone whose family member's about to get married. And they go, do you, you know, and so, but here's the thing. Of course I love weddings, but nobody is thinking about the pastor at a wedding. Can I just tell you? They're thinking about the bride and they're thinking about who they're gonna meet afterwards, family members they haven't seen, all the things, the music and all the recitation of vows. And everybody comes to me and goes, share the gospel, tell them, give it to them, one, two, give them the big punch. And I've done a lot of weddings and no one a year later comes back and goes, I remember when you did such and such, nobody. But they do go, oh, I remember the wedding that you officiated of so-and-so. Not so with a funeral. Because at a funeral, every single person is listening. They are all listening. Because they want to know why they are sitting in that room at that time. And there you have an opportunity to really share the real story behind the story. Let me just share one because, so to answer your question, I do prefer funerals. Not because I'm morbid, not because I like death, but because I realize that people are listening to really the life issues at that point in time. So about 10 years ago, I got a call from a funeral director, and I usually don't do funerals of people I, that aren't a part of our church or that I don't know or that isn't a friend of a friend because it just we're too busy just to do funerals for everybody. But the funeral director called and said, I have a lady who passed away. She's the only believer in her family, and she did attend your church once. And so I said, I don't want to do it. And uh, I hung up. And God convicted me within seconds, and I called him right back. And he was a believer. He is a believer, the funeral direct, this funeral director. I said, I'm sorry, I got to do it. And he goes, great. He goes, but let me tell you, you just need to know that no one else in the family is a Christian. And in fact, they're anti-Christians. Now, there are non-Christians who are just ambivalent, don't really care. And then there are anti-Christians that hate the things of Christ. Two different, both aren't followers, but he said, these people are anti-Christians. I said, well, I said yes, and I'm going to do it. And so I met the family, and yes, they were anti-Christians. And um, if I gave you the name of the family, you would know the family name because they're, I didn't realize this because the lady's name was different than her father and the family name, but they're both in professional sports and in uh, the garment industry and um, uh, in New York. And so you would know the names, which I won't give you. And they were anti-Christians. And so I got to the day of the funeral and the chapel across the street was filled with about 400 people that were kind of mad that they were in a church. They would rather have been out in a park or in a community center 
And I knew it. I could tell it. And so the, the guy assisted me. He's not here anymore, one of our pastors. He goes, what do I do? I go, just get up there and read the Bible. I said, you picked the passage already. Read it and then pray and let's see what the Spirit of God does. I got up there, he did it, I got up there. All the eulogies were so anti-God and anti-Christ and just vindictive and all the rest. I got up there and we started speaking. And there's a point where you have to share love and you have to share truth simultaneously. It was over and I was kind of glad it was over and we were greeting people and hugging people and just kind of, it was before COVID, so you're allowed to hug people and we were doing all that. And then they all left and went back to New York City. And um, I thought, what a waste of time. And uh, two weeks later, two weeks later, I get an email from a lady who I didn't meet, I've never met. She goes, I was in the funeral two weeks ago. And she said, I'm the only Christian in my company and in all those friends that you met. And they have mocked my Christianity for years until two weeks ago. And now they're listening to me. And I never realized that I wasn't preaching for the people, I was preaching for her. To give her the courage to share the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Jesus, the God of the universe. And see, that's what this is about. So one more funeral story. I've got a lot of them. Some of them are really incredibly wild, which I won't go into. A lot of things happen at funerals. One of our senior ladies here at the church died in, in one of the nursing home areas, and so they asked me to do the funeral, which I love to do. I knew her from my childhood, and so I was so happy to do it. And I realized there'd just be a bunch of older ladies at it. All their husbands had died. They're all in their 90s. I thought, okay, I'll go and do it and just kind of comfort the, the rest of the ladies who were going to be dead in a year or two. <laughs> what? You're 95. You're not going to live forever. And so I start speaking to them, and in the middle of it, I realized I was making a huge mistake because her grandchildren were sitting on the front row. 10, 18 to 35-year-olds were sitting in the front row, and I was speaking to the dead and dying, and I needed to speak to the living. My friends, it was too late. I was about two-thirds of the way through, and I realized, and I, I was newer at it. This was a few years ago, and I'm think, I didn't know how to shift. I still apologize to God for that. I made a huge mistake because funerals and death is about the living and not the dead. In fact, I see one of them once in a while, and we, I share Christ every single time I see him because I want him to come to Christ but I also realized I had the time when he was listening and I didn't share it to him. I shared it to a bunch of dying women. My friends, the story of Christ is about the living. We talk about the dead and dying 
and what will come, and that's what we're going to look at, but it is about the living and how we live on this earth right now, which will affect the rest of eternity. So let's look at this if we can. Ephesians 1, 15. It starts out with three simple words, for this reason, as we learned from our new pastor, Bill, Bill Hood III, the word therefore or the word for this reason is there for a reason, and that is to talk about what occurred before. In the first 14 verses that we talked about last week, God is talking about, or Paul is talking about God, and he's called us, he's predestined us, he's chosen us, he's adopted us. We are part of his kingdom. And for this reason, and he continues to go. And we'll talk about that in a minute. And just as a reminder, these chapters are about God. The chapters four, five, and six are about us, people. But please understand that there's stuff about us in the first three chapters and there's stuff about God in the last three chapters. It's just kind of the emphasis. And he goes here, and I wanna look at five things today as we look at these short verses. Let me give them to you. I want you to learn something about Paul. I want you to learn something about the church, us. I want you to learn something about God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Can we do that? Paul the church, us, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Let's look. For this reason, because I, the I in this is Paul, he's the writer of this, the Apostle Paul, to the Ephesians, I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and your love toward all the saints. I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and your love towards all the saints. I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Let's just stop there. So here's Paul. Paul says he's heard. Why is it that he's heard and he hasn't seen? Because Paul is in prison in Rome. Paul's imprisoned and he's hearing about one of his favorite places on the planet, the city of Ephesus and the Ephesians. You remember he got kicked out of that city because he stopped the... Um, People didn't want to worship Artemis and didn't want to buy the little silversmith statues. And so the silversmith got everybody to riot and got him out of town. Well, a little later, he gets arrested and he's in Rome and he's writing these what we call prison epistles, which are Ephesians, Philippians, and Galatians in particular. There may be others as well. But he's writing this from prison. He's saying, I'm hearing people like Luke, people like Timothy, possibly Apollos are coming and telling Paul about the city of Ephesus and the revival that's going on in the church. I have heard. And because I have heard, it says in the next verse, we'll get to what he heard in a moment, because that has to do with the church. But what I have heard causes me to give thanks. Hearing leads to gratitude in Paul's life. He's heard and he's giving thanks. And then this is what he's doing, remembering you in my prayers. Please understand the power of prayer. Prayer is so important. Why? Two reasons plus probably 50 other reasons. One is it's you and God communicating to each other and you can do it remote. 
Prayer came way before Zoom and Skype and Microsoft Teams and all the rest. You can pray and pray for someone who's not even in the same town, not even on the same country or continent. You can pray for, and God's listening, and because God's everywhere, God can answer that prayer over there. You see, if I want to affect somebody over there physically, I've got to send them money, I've got to send them something, I've got to go visit them. That's the physical side, but the spiritual side is prayer. Paul's in prison. We kind of think he's in a dungeon that you get lowered down. I've been there. We're not quite sure if that was the exact place. He's in a sewer where the sewer lines come through, and he's there stuck in all that, and he's giving thanks and praying for a church that he helped found that he probably would never see again. You can pray for people you'll never see again. Some of you who are older go, I'll never visit my grandchildren again. I I can't do it. And they don't wanna come see me. Pray for them. Every one of us has, it's not the power of Bill praying, it's the power of prayer and God. I'm verbalizing it, do you see that? Paul's verbalizing it. And so the first thing we learn about Paul, the first person, is he hears, he thanks, he prays. Then second, we learn about the church. It's not called the church until later down at the end of this paragraph, but it is the church. And I'd like to think it's also about us. I'd like to think that we can apply this to us today. And in that, in that verse 15 still, what did he hear? He heard, of the faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards all saints. Those of you who've been around me a long time and some of you have been around a long time because I taught a Bible study for 25 years before I became pastor here for the last 14 years. So there's people that have been with me for 39 years and they're tired of hearing me say this, but when you have faith in God, you're gonna love other people. I just say this all the time, and I know you're tired of hearing of it, but please understand it. It's throughout the Bible. God gives to us, we give to others. We have faith in God, we help others. We pray to God, God uses us to help others. You use the particular words, and here he says, we have faith in Jesus Christ, and we have love towards each other. It's not one or the other, because we can love each other And that's just um, community, philanthropy, um, brotherly love, Philadelphia, phileo, that's all good. Or we could just have faith, and that's good too, but our faith requires us to do something on earth with it. So we have to have this, and we have to have this. And if you only have half of it, you're missing it. And there's a lot of people that only get half of it. A lot of people on this earth are doing good deeds and doing great things. That's all good, but without faith in Christ, it's kind of meaningless. And if you have faith in Christ and that's it, then you become a monastic or you become kind of monkish, even though we're not monks, we kind of monkish in this and we kind of go, you know, I I have people who say, yeah, you know, I just go out to the beach and worship God and I do my own thing. And I go, well, that's good, but that's not everything. Nothing wrong with going to worship God at the beach. I do it too. But there's more to this than just worshiping God at the beach. There's more to it, and it's both. And he's saying, you have both. So we start out with God, uh, sorry, with Paul. Paul hears, thanks, prays. 
about the people in Ephesus that he will call the church in just a moment at the end with the church who has faith in Jesus Christ and loves the saints. This is so important because what does the scripture say in another place? They'll know we are Christians by our love. They will not know we are Christians by other things. Now, other things are good by my giving, by my words. Yeah, that's all good and that's all important and that's all key, but it's by our love. And he says, you are having faith in Christ and you are loving towards the saints. So that's number two. So let's, let's learn about God now. That's about Paul and that's about the Ephesians. Let's learn about God. And he starts with the spirit in verse 17, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom. Let me pause there. And you hear me say this a lot too. Today is just a coming together of all the things I talk about all the time, by the way. So we are Trinitarians. We believe in the Trinity of God, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. There are those who only believe in God. There are those who only believe in Jesus as a good man and that he's the only one. And there are those who believe in some spirit or spiritual aspect. Please understand, we are believers in God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And people go, oh, that's not even in the Bible. Well, it's in the same verse right here for goodness sakes. And it's throughout the Bible, but right here he says, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory may give you, so we've got God the Father, we've got Jesus Christ, the Spirit, and the word Spirit is capitalized, can give you the Spirit, the Holy Spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him. <clears throat> the Holy Spirit is here to do a lot of things. But one of the things the Holy Spirit, which he is doing, is to give us wisdom, revelation, and knowledge of the Father. People go, I don't understand God. Ask the Spirit to give you that understanding. I don't know who God is. Pray. This is the thing. When people come to me and go, I don't get it. I can't believe. I always say, just pray. Why don't you pray? Elizabeth's good at this. She'll go, okay, you just pray for a week. See what happens. Pray for two weeks. See what happens. Because if you're going to pray to God, even as a non-believer, he's going to listen. And he says here to do that. Pray in the spirit of wisdom, the spirit of revelation, in the knowledge of him. So the question becomes, can we really know God? Can we know God? There are people who say you can't know God. Well, we can't know every aspect of God because he's infinite, but the answer is this, you can know God. Because it leads me to the second part of God, which is God brings people to himself. Let me give you four thoughts about God here, God the Father now. So we have the Holy Spirit who is giving us wisdom and revelation, but then it goes in the knowledge of him. We can know God. That's number one about knowing, uh, understanding God. We can know God. And then he goes on and says, having the eyes of your heart enlightened, that's the spirit enlightening us, that you may know what is the hope to which you have been called or that he has called you, depending on your translation. God gives you, among a lot of things, 
hope and a calling. Now, what is hope? I live with a lot of people, and not live with, that's the wrong word. I talk to a lot of people who are fearful. A lot of people who are followers of Christ who are fearful. And here, Paul, who is in prison, that would be pretty fearful. Knowing that he's going to die, that's pretty fearful. Riding to a city that is controlled by the Roman um, gods, the believers of the Roman mythologies. So that's a pretty bad situation, isn't it? And he's saying that God has given you hope and God has given you a calling. I think we need to have hope. I think we in the 21st century American church have lost hope. We think that everything around us is taking us over. And we have this mentality that we're losing. Can I just tell you that we're not losing? It looks like we're losing maybe. And maybe they've won a battle or two. But the battle belongs to whom? Who? The The Lord. The battle belongs to the Lord. So even if I lose this puppy or you lose it, it's the battle belongs to the Lord. It's not my battle. Because if it was my battle, I might win, I might lose, I might draw, who knows. But it's not my battle, it's his battle. Because we should have hope in this because he has called us to it. That's what the first half of the chapter, if you weren't here last week, it was really hard and I kind of worked my way through it, but it's an understanding that we have been called by God. So first of all, we can have knowledge of God. Second of all, he gives us hope and he gives us a calling. And then third, about God the Father, it says here also in verse 18, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. God gives us an inheritance. He talked about the deposit of the inheritance a few verses before when he says he gives the Spirit as a pledge, right, to the inheritance. And here he tells us he gives us an inheritance. This is so beautiful. Let me just pause for a moment and read a children's story, a a paragraph out of a children's story. Um, Has anybody read the Chronicles of Narnia? Raise your hand. Okay, I didn't grow up with the Chronicles of Narnia. It's British. It wasn't in the American scene. The movies weren't made yet. I grew up with American uh, children's stories. My wife grew up with British, and this is a British story. And then, so I came to the Chronicles of Narnia as an adult. So if you have never read it, do yourself a favor. As an adult, it's seven books. You go, wow, seven books. Well, they're children's books, so you can get through them. First one's The Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe, or The Magician's Nephew. But the last book is called The Last Battle. It's the end. So Narnia is this imaginary world, kind of like Middle Earth for you Tolkien fans. It's It's the imaginary world, and the head of the imaginary world is Aslan, the lion. He's the Christ figure, and these children come in and out of England into this world, and they have all these adventures, and that's what the story's about. But now it's the end. It's the last battle. It's kind of the end of the day. And it says, and as Aslan spoke, he no longer looked at them like a lion. I read this at almost every funeral I do. 
But the things that began to happen after that were so great and beautiful that I cannot write them. And for us, this is the end of all stories. And we can most truly say that they all lived happily ever after. But for them, it was only the beginning of the real story. All their life in this world and all their adventures in Narnia had only been the book cover and the title page. Now at last, they were at the beginning of chapter one of the great story, which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever, which every chapter is better than the one before. What C.S. Lewis is writing to a bunch of eight and 12 year olds is this, that the life we live is just the introduction. It's just the title page of the future life. You see, we have an inheritance that is coming to us that is greater than anything we've ever seen or known or done. And it's an amazing thing. He writes this in a British way, so if you're not British, you may not understand this. The term is over, the holidays have begun, the dream is ended, this is now the morning. Not morning as in death, but morning as in good morning. The beginning of a new life. You see, my friends, when I do the funeral of a believer, they are already in chapter one of their new life. And that's the beautiful thing about that. Because back in there, we've been given an inheritance. And he says in front of it, it's the riches of his glorious inheritance. If God's gift to us says riches and glorious, it must be pretty good, mustn't it? That's an amazing thing. So we, we can have the knowledge of him, the hope and calling of him, the inheritance of him. And then finally in this little section about God the Father, verse 19, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his great might? In other words, he gives us power to live here today. We can know him. He's called us. We can have a hope. We have inheritance in the future, but we have power today. Isn't that pretty amazing? This story of God and us is pretty comprehensive. It's not this Christmas and Easter story. This is a comprehensive story that began before the foundation of the earth when God decided to make the earth and all that was in it, which included you and me. And then at the end, Starting in verse uh, 20, he talks about Christ, which is what we sang about today. I hope you're listening to the words of those songs. Weren't they meaningful? All three of them, I'm going, anybody who says worship songs have no meaning, I wish we sang hymns. Well, the first song was a hymn. But those other two, weren't they so meaningful? I mean, goodness gracious. That he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things 
to the church. First mention of the church here in Ephesians. Which is the body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. The other day, Elizabeth and I were watching a lawyer show. We don't watch a lot of TV, but we're watching a lawyer show and a guy's um, erroneously been charged. He's in jail. They're trying to get him out of jail. The whole story's about him getting out of jail, this guy getting out of jail. Nobody's a Christian. They're all pagans. But at the end, the lawyer's driving to the prison where the family's assembling for this guy to come out of prison. And the lawyer goes to his driver. There's somebody driving because he was doing work. And he goes to the driver. Did you go to church when you were a kid? And she said, no, not much. But I always went at Christmas. And he said, so did I. And he said, as this guy, you could see through the window, and this guy is coming out of prison, having been redeemed, he says to her, my mother always told me Easter was more important. End of the show. And I thought someone in that production team is a believer. It had nothing to do with Christmas or Easter, but it had everything to do with it, because at the end, this guy gets redeemed, and the whole story of Easter is about us, or Resurrection Sunday, which we should call it, is about us getting redeemed. There are still signs in our culture of redemption, and we need to take those signs of redemption and share it with other people because there is no one on earth like Jesus Christ. His name is above every name. At the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. He's more powerful. He's everything above all of us. And it's not because he was a good teacher, which he was the best teacher. It was not because he was a good moral man. He was perfect. It's not because he taught these incredible parables and shared proverbs and sermons, all better than anything any of us can do, but because he is God and has more power than any of us. And if you want to have new life and life after death, it can only come through Jesus Christ. So as we close, we're traveling again, as I mentioned, and um, back in November, Elizabeth and I and our team went to Nepal. We love Nepal. We have such great partners there. It's that little country where Mount Everest is and all those big, it's like the Switzerland of Asia, not just because it has tall mountains, but because it's a, a place everybody can go. It's kind of a neutral place. So we always assemble our people there. One of the times I was there, one of the first times I was there, um, they take two currencies there. They take the Nepalese rupee and the Indian rupee. So, okay, so I was always go to India first and had a lot of Indian rupees in there and then bought Nepalese rupees. And so we're using the rupees, they're like dollars and cents and using them and using them and using them. And I thought, we're leaving and I had a couple hundred Nepalese rupees left and I thought, okay, I'll exchange them when I get back to India because I, w I don't wanna leave with no money in case something happens at the airport. So I had all this money, Nepalese rupees with me and got to India. When I got to India at the airport, I went to the currency exchange and I pull out all my Nepalese rupees and they're, they're, it's just, you know, they're crumpled everywhere and just hundreds of Nepalese rupees 
the $100 or 100 rupees, uh, 50 rupees, et cetera, et cetera. Lots of, lot of rupees. And the lady looked at me and started laughing. I mean, uncontrollably laughing. I'd never met her. I don't get Indian humor. She goes, these are worthless. I go, what do you mean they're worthless? She goes, they're Nepalese rupees. They're only good in Nepal. They're not good anywhere else. I said, Indian rupees are good out of their places. Dollars are good. Euros are good. Swiss francs are good. The British pound is good. She said, the Nepalese rupee is not. It's only good in Nepal. And if you leave with the Nepalese rupees in your pocket, it's worthless. And it taught me a great lesson. We live in Nepal on earth. And when we leave earth, there is nothing we can take with us. You can send it ahead, you can give it ahead, you can do all kinds of things ahead, but when you leave earth, you can't take anything with you. It's what you do here that's important because it's over when you go next. But here's the beautiful thing. You have Indian rupees as well. You have spiritual collateral as well that you can spend here and you can spend there. And the beautiful thing as well, unlike physical dollars and cents and rupees, is God can take physical things and turn them into spiritual things. It is an amazing thing. Next week, when you give to the people going to Brazil, you're giving physical dollars to help them do a spiritual thing. And you might just help transform a life of someone in our congregation or a life of someone down in Brazil. And you go, well, it's a physical thing. I'm giving physical dollars. But God can convert it. And also, with you praying attached to it, it really will be converted. And the conversion rate is not one to one, as I said last week. It might be one to 10, or one to 20, or one to 100, or one to 1,000. So we close. There was a boy who grew up in our church when it was first founded. The church is 75 years old, so almost 73 years old. <clears throat> he was way ahead of me. I barely knew him because he went off to college when I was still just a, a young kid. But he became a believer in this church. And then he went off to college, and then he, God got a hold of his life, and he started working on a, something that was new. He made a movie called The Jesus Film and helped make it. He didn't make it actually, but was participating in it and had it translated in 2,000 languages. Not 10, not 20, 2,000 languages. 2,000 languages all over the world. He became a believer right here in these in the predecessor pews, the same building, predecessor pews to these pews, different carpet, different stage, same Holy Spirit working in this room. Tens and hundreds of thousands of people came to Christ because of that little boy in this room. He died this week at the age of 80. 
I remember I did the funeral of his stepmother about just before COVID. So I didn't realize he was 80. I was thinking he was, but his stepmother was younger. And I mean, she was 90, but he was 80. I was thinking, what did he send ahead? He sent people ahead. All those people. He was brilliant. And yet he did something for Christ. Whether you talk to one person or thousands, it's just a particular. But God has called us to take what we have learned, take what we know in his power, and share it with others. That's what chapter one of Ephesians is about. It's not just a theological treatise. It's just not that we can know more about God. It's that we do something with that knowledge and share the love of Christ to other people. Amen? Let's pray together.